here's the problem. You're still dealing with a government institution. They're going to move at the speed they want to move at. They don't care about Marblestone Property Group much as they say they do. Okay? A lot of them are overworked. I'm not saying this is true with all government agencies. There's a little bit of disorganization that goes on there. When you go to the private sector, like entrepreneurs, what do we want? We want speed. speed. We want profit. We want answers. We control that. So understand when you work with a government institution, there's a lot of pros, but there are some cons. Welcome to the Cash Flow for Life podcast. We believe there are two types of people in this world people that have greater cash flow coming in every single month, or people who have cash flow going out. We believe you need to be the type of person that has cash flow coming in, and that is what this podcast is all about. Our mantra is simple. If you take care of real estate for the first five years, real estate will take care of you for the rest of your life. If you're looking to achieve financial freedom through real estate investing, you're in the right place. Andrew Holmes, a renowned expert in the field, is your guide on this journey. Andrew is the driving force behind National RE Invest, the largest real estate investors association in the United States. Together, we're here to help you build wealth and create more cash flow in your life. Let's get into the show. Making millions with Section 8, or also known as the Housing Voucher Program. Today, in the studio, we have Jared Cott with Marblestone Properties, and this is going to be really, really fun. So, Jared, buddy, welcome. Thank you, Andrew. Thrilled to be here. And I know we're excited and we're going to jump into all this, but if anybody has not been to Andrew's studio out in Lombard, this place is unbelievable. So before we start pitching, let's get into it, right? Uh, let's kind of start with this because whenever I say making millions with Section 8, right? A lot of times people are like, oh my God, Andrew, you got a slumlord in the studio. So if we were to say A, B, C, and D, right? A being affluent, B being, you know, kind of uh, bread and butter, and middle, C being kind of areas with some challenges, D being areas that are kind of close to disasters. In Chicago, where do you feel you invest in? So it's very clear. I laid my head at night. My primary residence is in a C-class block. Now, anybody knowing Chicago understands that investing in Chicago is truly block by block. So where do we invest and where do we do a lot of Section 8? C, C minus. D plus. So as far as for people who are not familiar with Chicago, right? Um, people think, oh, they think about Chicago, they think about two things, cold and crime. And actually, that's not the case if people really understand Chicago. But yet there is a section of the city of Chicago, right, that has south side parts of it, west side parts of it. Really, that's where the challenges are. So are you in the west side of the city, south side of the city? South side of the city. South Exclusively side. south side. Not only exclusively side, south side, but you're in a pocket of uh, the city that's in south side. So what pockets do you operate in? So I live, my, my primary residence on the east side of Chicago, which butts right up to the Indiana border. Okay. The majority of areas that we manage and invest on are South Chicago, which is a small neighborhood located right below South Shore. South Shore, Woodlawn, Pullman, Roseland, those are our primary markets that okay. we invest and manage. So let me, before we get into the whole idea of the millions, I mean, how do you actually do this? Because some of these are challenging neighborhoods. It's just a fact of life, right? So if I go back, when did Jared become a real estate investor? How did that happen? So I started investing in, in February of 2013. Prior to that, for a decade or so, I was, I was in insurance. 
I abruptly was fired from corporate America. I made a decision that day, February 14th, uh, 2013 was when I got fired. That was a Friday. On Monday, I took a class on property management at CIC. At that moment, I was like, I'm going to do it. Since for people who are in Chicago, you brought up a resource called CIC. Probably when it comes to property management, one of the best classes being offered out there for less than a hundred bucks. Would you say that? So CIC is a non-for-profit uh, bank that also offers resources. Um, and CIC is, is uh, the acronym for Community Investment. Since you brought it up, I thought I would uh, kind of, you know, let people know about that. So CIC is something that you may want to look up. So you get fired. Now, I know you make it one of the very wise decisions of life at the time. I'm being facetious, guys. Where did you get the money from for the first deal? So everybody always asks this same question. Like, you know, did, did, you, did you shake a tree? Did you have it buried in your backyard? Like, no, the, the deal was it. I wasn't smart enough at that time to figure this all out. But what I did know is that every paycheck, I took X amount of my salary and I put it in a 401k. So once I got fired, I was like, well, I have this 401k. It's a pot of money. Let me go use it to invest in real estate. I had no idea of the problems that would come later on making that poor decision with the uh, taxes and ramifications with that. But I also will tell you that mistakes sometimes, sometimes lead to awesome opportunities. So I paid uh, 45% tax. tax. I, I had uh, $250,000. So basically he had worked, right? And 401k is being put away. They may be matching it, whatever suddenly gets laid off. And at the time, and Jared, you have to know this, right, uh, about Jared, that I would <laughs> I would not put him in the A-grade a category for sure, right? But sometimes uh, you have to have that spirit that got, come hell or high water, I'm going to take it and run with it. I mean, we laugh about it, but it's generally true that a lot of entrepreneurs, they have this thing that, hey, man, uh, it is what it is, and I'm going to run with it. Listen, man, you just teed that up perfectly because here's the truth. And I told Andrew before we started this, let's not hold anything back today. Like, let's just be completely real with the listeners. I'm not the smartest guy. I barely made it through high school. I Somehow or another, I, I managed to get, you know, through some college. But at the end of the day, one thing that I'm really good at, it, I was working hard. Yeah. I knew how to work hard. I never, I never gave up. Um, and I also was always very much true to my word. And I was, I was really strong at building relationships, which doesn't mean I, I delegated everything. I'm a genuinely good guy that wants to hang out with other good people. So, Jared, since we talk about this, this whole delegation, all this stuff, I know today you kind of spend a lot of time in Michigan. You're kind of enjoying the life. But I want to bring this up because a lot of times people will read books, right? And they will take some of this stuff literally. Where they're like, Andrew, well, you know, I don't want to work in my business. I want to work on my business. But what would you say if I said that, hey, man, listen, you got to have a business to work on your damn business, right? That a lot of times people are like, well, I'm going to work on my business. You have no business, right? right? <laughs> Let's first build it first before you start taking all these crazy ideas and then start making all these profound statements. Sounds so easy. Right. I just want to work on my business. Yeah. How many employees do you have? Yeah. Well, it's just me. Yeah. Well, you're working on you all. Yeah, time, right? exactly. So there are steps that need to be followed, I think, in terms of of getting to that degree. Um, but I mean, listen, we, we're all, all of us in this entrepreneur, entrepreneurial real estate world, we're all in this thing together. So although maybe on paper, you're not like 
hey, I'm not papered up as a true partner with Andrew. I can call Andrew at any time and he can call me at any time and we can trade advice. To me, that's a partner. Right. Right. So like develop strong relationships like that and make sure you provide value both ways. There's nothing worse than a one-way time suck. So for listeners out there, don't time suck. But if we can trade value, I'd be happy to do that. So what you do is you take the 401k and not thinking about the tax consequences, you dump it basically into your savings or personal account, right? That's basically what you did. It's legit what I did, but we have to also back it up in the period of time. It's 2013 uh, on the south side of Chicago. Assets were, they were um, dramatically less expensive than what they are now. So for you to pick up a building for a three unit for 40, 50,000 bucks would not be a big deal. As you would say, all day long. All day long, right? And obviously the market's changed. Uh, yeah. Those buildings today, what do you think they're worth? Um, the, the two flats are beginning in, on the south side on the tougher part. Uh, right. Not as tough as the D plus, but the C's are seeing threes in front of them. Threes in front of them. Okay. So, I mean, literally a lot of times, because the reason I asked that is people are like, man, if I was in California, right? If I was here, if I was, guys, listen, there's opportunity right under your own backyard. The question is, do you know how to see it? In California, the prices may have doubled or even two and a half times. Here, in a lot of the markets, right, you're going to have other challenges. But literally in your market, it's 10 freaking times, right? It's literally gone 10 times, right? So there is an opportunity, yin and yang, in every single market. So at the time, so let's go through maybe deal number one. At the time, did you know that you're going to start basically stacking properties and scaling them at a high pace? Or was it just kind of one shoe in front of another? You know, I, I didn't understand real estate, right? I came from a corporate background. I, I, I took the property management class and, uh, you know, right, wrong, or indifferent, I just hit the ground running. I didn't own a car back then. I had a Harley Davidson. I drove the Harley Davidson up and down Lakeshore Drive and then in the neighborhood. What the hell I did realized, you do in winter, man? I just bundled up a little bit and hoped that Are the you salt kidding trucks, me? I'd ride it year round, man. Are you serious yeah. about this? Yeah, I'll send you some videos. You could tag it. Oh, my God. So, I, guys, I said this guy's a nut, right? I mean, this is this is not a joke, and I mean it sincerely. Probably one of the nicest human beings you'll meet, but I mean, this is a part of the nuttiness. Of Chicago. You you have to be crazy to be in in difficult, challenging markets in real estate. Now, a little bit of crazy doesn't need mean that you have to have tons of degrees either, right? Right, and maybe we take crazy, and I'm right. not saying that I'm not crazy, but maybe we say persistent. Yeah. In terms no, no, of I mean, anybody like, can make this work. And again, you know, it's like part of it is that you sing, you, you know, you kind of basically uh, dance to your own tune sort of a thing. Yeah, yeah. That because this is not normal, you know, for a white dude living in a very tough neighborhood yeah. um, and dealing with some tough challenges. There, right. I mean, uh, there have been some. Uh, there's like also, I mean, we'll, we'll get in some difficult okay. stuff. But so, so here was the first deal. Right? Yeah. It was it was on the 83rd block of Houston. It was a brick two flat. It was um I I bought it for twenty seven thousand dollars. Okay, in twenty thirteen. Now with that came a bunch of challenges. There were squatters. So what I do? I pulled up on my Harley Davidson. I had a bandana on, and I said uh, I work for this company, and I'm just giving you guys a heads up that I think the city may be coming in. There might be some demolition. I don't know. I don't know all of what's going to happen, but there are going to be people around. It might be time to go. And, you know, when you see a white guy with a Harley and a bandana, we've never seen before. It's kind of, there was a little bit of shock, 
but I didn't come in with full authority, like get the F out. It was because that would have been confrontational. Right. Yeah. This is like, hey, man, I'm just saying, right? I'm kind of giving you a heads up. Right. So from that, you know, the next, you know, 48 hours later, came down, knocked on the door. Hey, guys, I saw there's a a scope of work and it's happening here. And then we got into different discussions. Where am I going to go? Blah, blah. And, you know, those are difficult. And and to be honest, I, I, this is all new to me, right? To have direct conversations to let people know, I don't know where you're going to go but you can't stay here um, was probably one of the first times I had difficult boundaries set because if I just said, you know what? F it. You could just stay here. My business would have sunk and this is my first deal. So I tried to build some alliances there. And the way I built that was one of the squatters who for somehow I got a feeling and I trusted that person the most. I work with that guy to say, listen, if you can help us get the, get these guys out of here, I'll give you the demo work. And here's what we'll pay you for. And then from there, you have a stepping stone. I really try to create win-wins wherever possible. That was deal one. So, and this is very, if you're investing in a suburban neighborhood, right, you're generally never going to run into this. But when we said genuinely, if you want to make millions with Section 8, right, some of the tougher parts of town, guess what? You're going to have to be creative. This is just how it is. So now you buy that property. What did you buy it for? 27,000. 27,000. How much work? I'm just going to, I'm going to ramble on to get sure. you to the full end st- scope of this. So what I thought was $20,000 a unit. Okay. So let's just round up. So I, I put 30 in, uh, I bought it for 30, put 40 in 20 a unit. Units look great. Cosmetic. I forgot about a couple of things. I didn't replace all the windows. I thought I kind of like gave the water heater a kick and turned the water. on. I said, this will work for a while. I didn't replace the furnaces. So when I put the heat on, I put my hand up. I said, this is good. But I closed up all the walls. Uh, we repainted everything cosmetically. Things look really well. So that sort of model, let's just say on five two flats, was duplicated five times. So now I have 10 units, five two flats. I go to, uh, at that time, my absolute favorite bank, CIC, and they had an inspector. Oh, Jesus. And they said to me, who did the rehab here? And I said, this guy. <laughs> <laughs> and they said, proud of it proud of it i right? was so proud andrew i got <laughs> fired from corporate i'm putting my stake in the ground and i'm letting cic know there's a new sheriff in town on the south side and this guy did the rehab <laughs> and and they i uh, in 48 hours i got a phone call which was bo- very difficult actually for both of us me and and also cic and they said we just can't and i i was heartbroken i said what do you mean you can't do the loan you came out, you saw the property. I, I've, I've made connections in the neighborhood. Like we are on the same mission and vision. Why can't you do the loan? And they straight up said, because your quality of work is horrible. And I asked them, what do I need? to do? Because I didn't know, right? I thought if I painted it, right? I ripped out some crappy carpet. I put in some new tile. I'd be good to go. And they were like, listen, what we're looking for is a stronger rehab. What we're looking for is for these units to last. and." My heart sunk because now I've like pretty much spent most of my money. And then I had to beg and plead with friends, friends and family to put together $80,000 because that's about what it cost to get it to the standard that CIC was looking for. It would pass their inspection and you'd actually get funded. So on that, at that time, what did these things appraise out at? I netted 55 a unit. 55 a unit as far as uh, cash out? 
You're saying? Cash out. Cash out. Okay. So you bought them somewhere around 30, you're fixing about 30, then you dump a little bit more money in. And on the back end, so you're basically doing, we call it like 257 cash flow for life strategy, right? Which is two years, five properties, get them paid off in seven. You were just doing similar model, purchase, rehab, rent, and 100% refi out, yep. right? And you had some extra you could refi out in that case. Yeah. And okay. you know what? I, I, I've done multiple rehabs. So let me back up on that number. The, the, the first go around, the first tranche was 2014, 2015 with CIC on the refinance. It was between 42.5 and 45. Not 45. That makes wanna, sense. I want to be clear. On okay. That. Let me ask you this. As far as dealing with Section 8, right? Because this is something you understand. And it's not just people generically call it the Section 8 program, mm -hmm. right? That's what the known term is. But today it's called the Housing Voucher Program, Correct. right? And you have the CHA, which is Chicago Housing Authority. You have all sorts of different types of programs, right? Um, goods and bads. Right. In terms of with tenants, in terms of because you have hundreds of units today, not only yeah. the ones you own, but you manage about 300 or so units for other people. Yeah, it's more than that. We're, more on, than we're, that. we're very close to 500. Currently. OK, so good and bad. So the good is um, I'm going to air quote this. So if you're listening, understand this is air quoted guaranteed rent. Right. And you're saying guaranteed Guaranteed, Asterisks, guaranteed right. is the air quote, right? All right. So what does that really mean? Well, the government is going to pay a certain agreed amount every month. And they do. They pay it on the first of the month. That's fantastic. The, the challenges that come with the program, a lot of times people get this twisted, myself included early on, thinking it was, it was the tenant. Now, that's still your job as a, as a investor to screen your tenant, right? Screen your tenants, screen them hard, and pick the best qualified tenant to go. Same thing with Section 8. Here's where it gets complicated. The government now is dictating what your rent is. Now, if, if I can show you a true rental comp that says, I'm picking this out of the, out of the air, it's $1,500. Now, I'm, I'm, do, I'm underwriting a pro forma for $1,500. Right. I go through all the hoops. Uh, I, go, I go through the... the the screening pro, I go through the marketing, I go through the screening, I go through the inspections, and then maybe we fail due to a tiny concrete chip on the outside. We fix it. Two weeks later, they come back. Now we wait another seven to 10 days to get the, to get the rental determination. So this may be a month, month and a half down the road, two uh, months. A lot of times it's, it's 60 days out. Yeah. So if you have mortgages during this time, this could be a challenge. And early on, this was a, this was a, heavy, heavy stressor, right? I'm like, I need a body in here. I've got this unit ready. Here's the con with it, all right? Not the con in terms, here's the problem. You're still dealing with a government institution. They're going to move at the speed they want to move at. They don't care about Marblestone Property Group much as they say they do, okay? A lot of them are overworked. I'm not saying this is true with all government agencies. There's a little bit of disorganization that goes on there. When you go to the private sector, like entrepreneurs, what do we want? We want speed. We want profit. We want answers. We control that. So understand when you work with a government institution, there's a lot of pros, but there are some cons. So as far as damaging your properties, right? Uh, generally, what is, I mean, you've been in the business long enough. You manage big enough, uh, enough buildings where you have some kind of general rules of thumb. Generally, a Section 8 tenant, how long do they stay with you? So this is a great question. 
right? And what I what I think we need to do is chop it up into assets. Okay. Okay. In my experience, market or Section Eight doesn't matter. People that are living in single family homes on decent blocks are going to stay exponentially longer, regardless of the market. Now we move into two flats. So let's just say that's one level up from a single family home. One, you go to two. Those are averaging tenants in there are, are averaging about two years. Let's go up one more. We'll skip the three and we'll go to four. Sure. one to two to four. Four units is 1.3. How do we get to 1.3? I have no idea, but we track it on a weekly basis on, on our company. So the larger, in terms of scale of unit size, the more the turnover. The more the turnover. 100%. See, this is an important point because a lot of times, Jared, this happens. Like your market is unique because that part of town happens to have a ton of two, three, four unit buildings. That's just how Chicago is, especially uh, South Side, right? If people understand the density when it was in the era when it was built, right? right? But generally, my point has always been like we have about 5.2 year turnover. Right, five point two years. Average tenant lives in a property that we have. Right, four point seven to five point two. On the low side is four point seven. Right, so we don't get very many turnovers. But a lot of times people will be like, "Oh my God, I want to buy bigger because that's easier. It's only one roof." What would you say to that? And we have laughed about this a lot. Yeah, I mean, I, the grass is always greener. Right, right. Everybody. Well, I might as well just do this. Well, I mean, get back to the root of why. Why would you do that? And here's my model: if something's working. I want to duplicate that as fast as possible, right? I, I want to 10x what is working, all right? I don't, and, and we can get this really twisted really fast in real estate, meaning, well, it's all real estate. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm a real estate investor, but what, what do you mean you're a real estate investor? You're a single family home investor. I always tell people my primary focus is in the one through four space. That's my market. Right. Now, when wholesalers and brokers send me, you know, 10, 12, 20 unit buildings, I'll look at them. But in my heart, I'm like, that's not my model. I put my stake in the sand. I understand what I'm good at. And that's what I stick. So that's what I would say. Be careful. Because, right. man, does it sound easy to go, hey, why don't I just try this other thing? And that's my way of scaling. But then you miss all the details below like we just talked about. Are you enjoying the show thus far? You know what they say, knowledge is not power, but rather it's the application of knowledge that is power. That's why we are excited to announce the new dates for our Build Your Empire three-day conference and property tour. At this game-changing event, you'll discover how to build lasting wealth with real estate, learn step-by-step -step methods, avoid common mistakes, and get insights from dozens of real estate and financial experts. If you are listening to the podcast, you know that real estate is a team sport. And we're here to introduce you to the local pros who can help you every step of the way. This event is your opportunity to walk through active real estate deals in Chicago and nearby neighborhoods. And the best part is, you can either attend live or virtually. Go to andrewhomesevents.com and get your early bird tickets now. At the event, you'll see properties being transformed into flips, rentals, or wholesale properties, giving you a rare and valuable learning experience outside the classroom. Meet and learn from successful students who've profited from our mentorship. Hear their stories and struggles, and discover how you can follow in their footsteps, regardless of your background or experience. And so much more. We also have a VIP package that will give you access to our exclusive networking sessions and an opportunity to connect and meet with Andrew himself. 
Plus, we even give you a hot lunch all of the days you are there. For more information and to secure your spot, visit andrewhomesevents.com. We sell out every time, so don't miss this opportunity to transform your real estate career. We will see you at our next event. And now, back to the show. Guys, this is important. I mean, I could not maybe emphasize enough that, listen, there is a McDonald's stays in McDonald's territory, right? They have that model better than anybody in the world. You get the same, you know, if you like the burger, the great burger or the shitty ass burger, doesn't matter where you are in America, right? That is their specialty. Tomorrow, if they said, oh my God, we're going to, you know, open a three Michelin star restaurant, that doesn't mean that they're in the restaurant business, but it's a completely different business. And I don't care if it's single family. I don't care if it's the two to four unit. I don't care if it's five to 10 or if it's hundred plus. There is a market segment and a niche that you're in. And people who operate a 50, 60, 100 unit buildings, right? Um, you guys have a lot of those bigger operators, but they're operating C and D neighborhoods. They start to go by class A buildings in the suburbs with the gated communities, with a $2 million pool and a gym. Guess what? That's a different market segment. It's not right or wrong. And believe me, people are making money in each market segment. Stick to what you're good at. Stick to things that are duplicatable for you, and you can literally make millions, 10, 15, 20, 30, 100 million the other day. This is the funniest thing, right? I met this guy at the airport, beautiful uh, Gulf Street. And the guy who's flying for him, right, is in uh, Florida, in um, Naples. And we get to talking. He's like, oh, uh, what do you do? He's like, man, I work for my boss. You know, my boss is one of those guys who he owns a bunch of single families. I'm like, listen, if you're flying in a G4, he just doesn't own a bunch of single families. This guy, yeah, but I'm trying to get him to go big and he just doesn't want to believe it. I'm like, well, do you own the jet? No, your boss does. Then I'm like, maybe the man has some wisdom, right? And we get to talking, listen to this, since 1970s or 60, late 60s, this guy is now 80 years old. He's been buying houses in Boston. He owns 862 houses in Boston. Wow. Can you imagine? Wow. And the guy who is, works for him is calling his boss dumb, right? I mean, right. I don't know who's dumber, but it yeah. certainly ain't his boss, right. right? So now, on the pro side of it, right, what are the good things from the housing voucher program? Yeah, so there's a lot of pros to it. One is... You know, if you put out a good product, there is a large demand for your product, right? There is some higher rents than you could typically get from market tenants. You know, again, a lot of this comes down to, to screening and it's not everybody. So don't, don't paint this with a broad brush. But if you deliver a good product in a, call it a, a little bit of a challenging neighborhood, good product, your tenants will have gratitude for you you operate that building correctly, that how that home correctly, is most likely your bar is raised higher than your competition. And I think if you do that one thing, well, you've now dominated. So a lot of people have tried to do that, what you've done in your market, and they've failed miserably, right? They live, I mean, in LA, they live all over the country, and somebody sells them a turnkey building with zero equity. You know who I'm talking about, right? The people, you've seen that. And people come here and they just get their butt handed to them. 
right? I mean, they just get their butt handed to them and they're like, oh my God, you know, it didn't work, right? Is it based on because their uh, all-in cost is high to begin with? Is it because they don't understand property management? Is it because they don't understand tenants, tenant selection? What is it? I think, you know, it could be a lot of things, Andrew. I, you know, number one is, um, you know, and I, I talk to my wife and my team about this all the time in terms of asking a question, what are your expectations? What are your expectations? Now, if, if let's say that the, the broker sends over a, a pro forma, if you don't challenge a pro forma, like we, we all can make things look good on paper. I think that's step one. I mean, to me, you know, I hate to say this for all the commercial brokers. The biggest bullshit is pro forma, right? I mean, your toilet paper is worth more because, I, I mean, you're basically calling it a fancy name, but you're just making up numbers based on what your perception is. And guess right? what? You want to change a couple numbers? Look at the bottom line. My ROI just went from here to here. Right. Right. So I think that's number one. You got to be real. You got to set those expectations correctly. And really understand those. So if I was to ask you in your market, right, you guys do a lot of property management also today, right? If let's say I'm, I don't live in this market, but I want to invest, right? In the South side of Chicago, right? What is a realistic expectation where I don't have any headaches? Somebody else is somebody like you is managing the property for me. What is a cash-on-cash cash return I can expect? You know, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't get into specific numbers like that, and I'm okay. not trying to hide be sure. behind any. Right. It's every asset's different. Okay. Right? So if we, you know, if we were talking about a block in the 90s versus a block on the 70s, like, so that because the, you got to be careful. There. The class of property is going to change. It, and it can change block by block. By, by block. But yeah. what, I will, what I can tell you is that if we expand our view time, on return, right? And, and not not so much monthly cash flow. I there there has to be targets. Like don't get into a deal if you're upside down or like an alligator deal with, where you're putting money in. Don't ever do something like that. But understand the fact that if we look in terms of a year to three years to five years to ten years, like my sweet spot was seven to eight years. I could not believe the value that these had over seven years. Now I also had some months and I had some quarters where I said to my wife, I'm not saying I'm doing this, but I'm thinking about possibly going back to corporate. That's how much pain this is bringing. me. Okay. They, they, everything in life has peaks and valleys. Those feelings don't last forever. But if we have a couple bad months in a row or say a section eight house, you fail an inspection, you got to put some money into it. Yeah. You're feeding that property. But guess what? Long-term horizons, better way to create wealth. I really don't. And I'm a living proof of that. Right. I'm a C minus student at best. So we were talking this about out. this, right? On the buy side, right? What is good value to you in terms of relation to the ARV? I like price per door. All right. Okay. So let's use, let's do some stuff sure. there. I think if you're going on single family homes on the South side of Chicago, I think if you're going over 150, 160,000 to me, I'm like, I don't like it. Okay, that's my own personal opinion. But I know that for $150,000, I could put together a three-bed, one-bath, three-bed, two-bath pretty well. You know, maybe I'm making up the numbers. You buy it for 50, you put 100 in. You buy it for 75, you put 75 in. However you get to that, all in. So all in cost, all which is in. your purchase, rehab, and uh, any of the related costs. All in. Okay. You know, what used to be 12, 1300 Right. Now, on the low side, it's 1500 depending on the block yeah. in the area. Now we're seeing upwards of 2000 right? 
So again, I'm not trying to I'm not trying to skim away from that answer on cash on cash, but it gets very very blockbuster. Because I mean, that's the difference is that out in the suburbs, you're gonna have all the suburbs that look the same, right? First time I ever went to Auburn Gresham, I had no idea what Auburn Gresham was, right? I had no clue, right? Going from the suburbs of Chicago, I go there, and the typical thing: winter, cold, blistery day, right? Ten o'clock in the morning, there are guys hanging out with paper bags. Right. And yeah. I, I had never seen this. And I kind of deduced standing outside of a liquor store. I'm like, oh, that's what it is. Because you don't get to see that in the suburbs. Sure. Right. Yet you go there and I'm like, man, I don't know where the heck I came here. I have this stupid deal. You make two turns and you end up on a block, this beautiful six unit building. It's better than some of the buildings we have in Berwyn. Yeah. Right. I mean, and the neighbor immediately comes out, right, asking what was my business standing out there. Well, guess what? And there's literally, I'll never forget, there's a Coke can outside his door. He picks it up, takes it inside, right? Little old black guy. This is no different, and this is not racial. Guys, listen, that block, the people care. Regardless of skin, color, we want to make this all nowadays, especially about racial. It's not, actually. When people care, the block is beautiful. The difference is, you know, in Wheaton, it's going to be a little old lady that's going to be like, oh, my God, what are you doing here? Right. Yeah. Uh, yet over there and it doesn't change. And you see that people generally 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, if they care, uh, then their block is going to be stunningly beautiful. And then you go end of the block and boom, it changes like a war zone. And that is what is rare about Chicago people, you're like, oh my God, I'm in the middle of a war zone. And then you're, I mean, it's heaven and hell all at the same time, well, right? I, I, real quick point to exactly what Andrew just said. We manage um, four, three to five single family homes on the 82nd block of, of an avenue. And uh, we have our signs there. Yeah. And we had, a, we had a potential management call on the 81st block. And they're like, oh yeah, I was, you know, I saw your signs all over on the, on, on the block right across the street right across the way, and uh, I want to see if you manage it. Well, what block are you on? I always take the initial sales pitch. And they said, uh, well, we're on the 82nd block. Ah, that, that's a hard no. Well, what do you mean? No, wait, but you're, you go manage one block away. No, 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 no. The change in blocks on the south side are absolutely amazing. Yeah. Now, I think in, in, in time. Um, that will change. That will change. Yeah. It's a, it's a matter of time. It's it's just a matter of time. What is more important? Location is more important or the property? I mean, you can do whatever you want to a property and you're right. in full control of that. Correct. You go in a bad if you go into a bad location, right? Let's say how are you gonna change that? Right. And, and and this idea, I know they show this on the news. They're like, well, you know, we renovate this is a really tough block, but we renovated this one house in the middle, and now one by one by one, guys, listen. I've said this a million times and I'll say it again, right? Millions are made on the graves of the martyrs that tried to change a block. Never be the person that is the first person who tries to change block. I know it sounds very ideal politically. It is very correct, right? Oh my God, I'm going to, you know, but listen, why? There are other deals to be had. Literally a block, block and a half away, you can find. And the reason why you can find these deals, because it is block by block. Right. The why there is more opportunity in some of these areas is because it's so block by block that you can literally buy that building, six unit building. I talked to Frank. Hey, I'm like, hey man, I can get this for 200. He's like, bro, all day long, man, it's worth 450. I'm like, are you serious? He's like, man, all day long, it's 450. We buy it for 200, we dump 40 into it, put it right back on the market, 435. 
Boom, it sells, right? You will never have that opportunity in the suburbs because there are thousand people just as smart, if not smarter, with way more money that are going to jump all over it. But in these tougher neighborhoods, you have opportunities, yet they don't look the same, right? They look different. So today, what's your strategy as a business in terms of, so how many buildings do you own for yourself, first of all? So I just go by units. Okay. uh, We trim some off in in 2020, but my my wife and I currently own about about 80, close round up. We have about 100. Uh, There's a couple small parts. Okay. All right, so about 100 units you own yourself, and how much did you ma- manage? So we're, we're pushing the needle up to right around 500 at, at this point. Now, with that being said, our largest building in the management portfolio is six units. It's six units, okay. Right? So Good. think about the, the manpower that it takes, right, right, to manage those many single-family homes. Right. Now, to go one step further. And you manage more single-family or two to four units? Um, well, it's a mixture. Mixture, right? okay. Um, but we're, we have... We have easily a hundred single family. Homes okay. You know, it gets a little bit more complex with, with two, two, three, and four units. Although smaller, right? You have different responsibilities. You sure. Have to, you have to shovel the snow. You have to ice. You got to cut the grass. Blah, blah, blah. But at, at any rate, I think. Okay. So you did a, this was funny because uh, Jared and I, Michael, his wife, we all went to Grand Canyon. Probably one of the best trips. Awesome. As we're dying, we're in uh, my airplane and we're dying laughing in the airplane. Jared's sitting in the back. We're talking real estate making money and jokes back and forth about real estate. Then we go hiking and all the way back, right? It was was just a fun, fun, fun things. And probably one of the most things that I'm most grateful for because, I mean, guys, think about this, right? You're in a private aircraft. You're talking to people you're friends with. You're talking shop, right? All the way there. There's a day for where you're basically like, oh, why am I climbing this stupid thing? And then you're having a ball, (laughs) having good food and flying back, right? I mean... I mean, what could be better, right? Because it's not only do you get to grow, you get to share a lot of laughs, but we were talking about this at the time, right? And you had done a big refi. Yeah. Right? You want to explain that? Yeah. So like I said, early on, I made that big mistake about drawing from the 401k. But then that, that, this is all, this is be the whole kind of timeline of things wrapped up in about two minutes. So I pulled from the 401k, I bought the assets, but then how did I recycle that money? Right. So then I had debt free five to five debt free two flat. But a guy like me is like, well, I want to keep going. I don't want to stop. So then I used some hard money. I levered those up, got a credit line. And then I started the cycle of buy, you know, the burr. Yeah. So I buy, did buy, rehab, uh, rent, refinance. Back and forth, back and forth. Uh, I used CIC for a long while. Uh, again, you guys have heard this numerous times on this podcast. I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, but I do watch 10-year treasury notes, which on a daily basis. And if I see them going down, it's telling me that the interest rates are probably going to follow. So I said, hmm, there's a trend happening here. That's what C students can tell you, trend. So I see the trend going down. I'm like, interest rates are falling. And I have 10-year paper. I wonder if there's a 30-year product up here where I can get a 30-year amortization. And if I could do that, I could spread my cash flow and I can get major security on all these assets. So guys, hold on, hold on, hold on. As much as, and and we rip on this all the time, right? That uh, most of us were not necessarily the brightest. You don't have to be because the brighter you are, the more you're going to talk yourself out of stuff because you're going to be very logical. Oh my God, this is not going to work because, right? But the thing that he probably just said in this podcast, the most profound thing he just said is watching 
the 10-year treasury yield. And then he basically looks at it. It's like, if 10 is this, how much is 30? So I can have long-term stabilized 30-year note on my properties and your risk goes down to relatively, literally zero, right? Because you're locking it in at a really, really good interest rates. Your properties are cash flowing (laughs) hand over fist. And how much did you refi out? So the the um, it was it was seven figures. It was and, seven figures. Um, yeah, and it kind of gets still. I just get the chills from it because um, when we were setting up the whole deal and everything, you know how it is. Like, there's attorneys going back and forth, and they're like, "We need to send the wire information." I was like, "No, no, no." And there were four loans. I was like, "I want, I want those in paper checks." And they're like, "Paper checks, like." Yeah, I want them in paper checks. And then I had to sign this whole security thing to be able right. to do it. And what I did is I went back. I went, the title company was very close to where I took the actual 401k money from. It was a Chase Bank and it was a private client. And I was hoping the guy Tim would be there. Right. In my ego. Right. See, Tim, because Tim told me, you take this money out, worst mistake you ever could make in your life and you'll never recover. So I got these checks in my so proud. I was hugging my wife and I actually I had some tears coming down my face in pride and proud. And I walked back to Chase. Tim here? No, I, there hasn't been a Tim here in like four years. Well, okay. I'm here to deposit these checks. And I went back to that original place and it, it was absolutely amazing. Now, the key to it was seven figures plus 30%, right? I, that's what I told the bank. Right. I said, I don't, I just give me that. Don't give me the plus 30%. Right. Uh, because I like cash flow. I don't want to be stressed every month to make those payments and um, pay attention to interest rates because it's not phantom money if you play the game right. It's very real. You know, if you lock in 30-year rate money in debt at 4.5%, it's much different than 7. And if we break it down really fast and just say the the deal was at 4% and we're currently at 8%, you've basically just either doubled or lost that that so there was a couple of key points he said which uh, let me just explain this really quickly so what he did is he obviously buys these properties over time he's managing them they're cash flowing so on and so forth um relative to the appreciation of these properties the debt is very low and the debt is all over the place with different banks different types of because they're financed at different times he looks at the uh treasuries what they're doing extrapolates a 30-year yield as to what they're going to do goes to the bank and negotiates the best rate he can. And then he goes and refinances them. They're offering him a much bigger cash out refi. But if you notice what he said is he didn't take the whole amount of money, right? I mean, you can get two, three, four million in cash out. But if you're not going to use that money now, if you cash out a lot, guess what's going to happen? Your payment is going to be more. Your cash flow is going to fall. Guys, the show is about one thing, and that is about cash flow for life. The difference between him and most people is he has cash flow for life that keeps coming in, keeps coming in, keeps coming in as long as the buildings are properly managed. And they have created a lot of liquid cash that's borrowed money that if you choose to, you can go play with it a little bit or you can go reinvest it and money makes more money, makes more money, makes more money. There is a true thing in life that the rich people keep getting richer and richer and richer. But and this is, a, I know, a, a thought we share, that we are probably one of the luckiest people. If you're listening to the podcast, if you're in America, period, would you agree with that? 100%. That this opportunity 
guys, does not exist, right? I mean, obviously, my ancestors from India. Even in India, you can't refinance properties like this. There's no other country that you can do what you can do in America. Same. My, my wife's motherland is Mexico. All the time. Like, can we go duplicate a model down in Mexico? And she's like, you have no idea yeah. that the opportunity is here. And it pretty much only exists here. So I agree 100%. Jared, man, this has been awesome. A lot of great things that you dropped. Anything that we may have missed that you want to share with the audience? No, I think we covered it all. I mean, I guess I, I would just say, you know, for anybody starting out, um, don't don't overthink this stuff. You know, like link up with a mentor, learn some markets, and and try to just dominate an area. And and the only I'm not saying that's the only way, but that's what worked for me. So that's sort of my message. And um, pay attention to interest rates. I think we, you know, I'm I'm not a, I'm not an economist, but I think that I think we might even a quarter basis point down frees up a lot of cash flow and could uh, provide some opportunities. So last but not least, how do they get in touch with you? Is there an email, something you want to put out there? Um, no, they can go directly to you, Andrew, and then they can call you okay. and then they can contact me. All right. Otherwise, but it's uh, Jared Cott, Marble Stone Properties. This has been uh, an absolute blast. Always, whenever I get to see you, we love the enthusiasm. Guys, again, you're listening to Andrew Holmes on Cashflow for Life. And please keep listening, keep sharing. And we want to have lots of great guests. If you know somebody that would make for a great guest, please make us aware of it. Talk to you soon. I hope you enjoyed the episode today on the Cashflow for Life podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe on your chosen platform that you are listening to us on. If this episode made you think of someone, go ahead, take a screenshot and share this episode with them or post it on your social media to share with your friends. Achieving financial freedom is all about creating the necessary cash flow in your life. Our team has designed an entire ecosystem for you to be able to not only become a successful real estate investor, but for you to build higher cash flows month after month. Join our community at www.nationalreinvest.com to see which event is coming up that you can be a part of and how you can be a part of our community. Once again, it's www.nationalreinvest.com. We will see you on the next episode.